I forgot we were recording these. I'm just going to talk about this story. All right. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with Rob and John. Hello. Hey. Okay, and today it's my turn. So this is a story from Aquifer, the Florida Review Online, which is the same place that I got the flood from. And so I only picked it because I scroll through that every once in a while. And I like how they kind of, they must make it a point to publish really diverse authors, younger people, older people, published people, not published, like men and women, all ethnicities. And I feel like other places I can't really find that breadth of work all the time. Like I feel like the New Yorker is like all published people. <laughs> anyway, so this was a random one that I picked. I really liked it. It's called Only Tourists Remember the Alamo. And it is written by Alicia D. Ortega. She has a BA from Stanford and an MFA in fiction from Louisiana State. So she knows her shit. All MFAs today for our readings. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm missing. Okay. Yeah. He didn't touch her, not at first. They were never alone in a room. They spent afternoons in youth group and deep, circular discussions about holy desire, how true love is anchored first in faith. They sometimes brushed arms, sitting close enough for her to memorize his smell, tied detergent, and chew. A month before, they held hands, six weeks before he kissed her in a dark theater. And then it was an urgent tumbling, a humming thrill that didn't stop when he stopped. And always he stopped. She reasoned it was okay, the wanting, because it felt pure, like something she was created to do, her body's own glorious mystery. Why are you doing doing this to me, he asked one night, her hands in her hair, his mouth on her ear. She expected to find men on Commerce Street, men who bared gold teeth at her as they drove past, slow. Jonas asked about these cars once, early in their courtship. What's the deal with y'all's lowriders, Mang? He used a Southside accent when he asked questions like these. He asked more often those nights his tongue had been inside her mouth. He never waited for her answer. He never asked why she didn't introduce him to her mother either. Her house was off limits. He seemed to understand. He might have been relieved. She didn't tell her mother about him. She kept her grades up, still went to mass, was home always before the end of her mom's shift. No need for questions. Why are you doing this to me? He asked again and again, breathing into the hollow of her collarbone. Why won't you stop me? Because I don't want to, she wanted to say, because you don't want me to. Instead, she'd kiss his forehead and eyelids and pray he felt it too, the longing that followed her for hours after they touched. In mass, as she pushed the papery wafer against the back of her teeth, she'd close her eyes and meditate on the patch of hair beneath his lower lip. She'd come to crave her own faith, its private solemn ritual. At Jonah's church, everything was hands in the air, flashing lights, the devoted weeping as they sang. They'd bent to explore Mission San Jose the night he confronted her about ducks and evolution. She'd thought the majestic limestone church would please Jonas. He was a Texas history buff, could recite Davy Crockett's monologue from the John Wayne movie on request, but the grounds closed at five o'clock. How very Catholic, he sniped, like the Lord operates from nine to five. That's not fair. Every church has operating hours. Worship me from one to three, he sang. After seven, there's no heaven. His voice was thin. He couldn't get it to tremble the right way. Clever, she said. She reached for his hand, but he shoved it into his pocket. I guess it's easier to break the rules when you have a million of them, he said. If you think about it, it's like the Pope expects you to fail, like he's setting you up for it. She didn't know what to say. In the dead pause, she remembered something a Taylor or a Travis had said to Jonas after Bible study. How's that spicy mission work coming along? You still a sucker for lost causes? On Commerce Street, she has a clear view of the tower, watches its glowing glass elevator ferry diners to the revolving restaurant at the top. She's never been. Only tourists see the city from that height. They sip margaritas made from cheap mix and try to spot the Alamo, where men died for Texas, where their favorite myth was born.
I had to give myself a history lesson courtesy of Wikipedia. After I picked this story, I was like, there's probably a metaphor here with the Alamo. (laughs) And so I'm probably going to butcher this, but are you guys familiar with that enough to have drawn the comparison or the conclusion? Yeah, more or less. Wow. Maybe. Okay, well... I'm curious where you're going now. (laughs) Well, I I read so far into it that I... Okay, so my takeaway from the story, jumping to the end, is going to be the idea of setting in a very specific setting. This is a city with an actual history, right? And uh, the writer is is from San Antonio, so has all of that background. And I think that really lends to like the authentic voice, all that, which we'll get to. But um, when I read about the Alamo, it talked about how that battle in terms of this, the Texas Revolution was one that played out in our hour being Americans' perception of it as this awesome battle that we lost, but that spurred all these people to join the army and then to ultimately win. And in Mexico, it was just another battle that they won. And it ultimately was a downfall for them, right? Like we got Texas. So it's a site for tourists as this title points to. But I think the metaphor would be that she is from, she's from San Antonio, but th- these are two parts of the border playing out, right? Like her, her family's probably from the other side of it, from Mexico. And she's definitely Hispanic. And, um, this guy, I don't know what race he is necessarily, but he's not familiar with hers, right? He doesn't understand her culture and he's kind of dipping in and like taking her innocence somehow. And, um, it all plays out differently in her mind than it does in his mind. I, I felt like that was kind of the broad, broad, broad metaphor. And, it added another layer for me because usually I don't like read into that stuff. But that's what it felt like. Anyway, that was that was kind of the takeaway that added something. But on its face before I read all that, I just really like the pace of the story. I love re- stories about relationships and hindsight, right? And this I felt like was made even more rich because of kind of her culture, right? So she she uses all of this um, Spanish in there and she'll um, italicize the language. And I Googled each one just so I, I could get it. But without that, the, the context is there and it adds just a real authentic feel to all of it. You could tell that whoever wrote this lived a part of it too. You can't fake the comfort level that she had. I'll shut up, but that's why I liked it. Did you guys like it? Yeah, I did like it. I particularly like the um, the Catholic versus wh- yes. whatever these two. Oh, yeah. whatever I hope Rob would appreciate whatever it. these fellows are. Right? It's fun because there's so much um, animosity, particularly on the the boy side, and they're so. Uh, these are people that are telling you that you should be born again, and forget what they say when they go to school, what their their line is. But it just seems so kind of half-hearted when you, once it gets put into practice. In theory, it sounds great, but then they come across people who are also Christians too, obviously, and they have such derision for them and it's really pathetic and and kind of funny and she's kind of above it and it makes it that much easier to root for her and there's just kind of like the sadness where I was kind of thinking about what Christine was saying and it's a white and it's a Hispanic thing and Texas is right on the border and it seems to go I think religion is I think the real I think Christine hit on the head I don't think the battleground really is religion I think it's just I'm white you're not yeah it's just ugly and all these base emotions are just they're just right at eye level and it's just it's kind of it's kind of a nasty story how these two have this kind of just this this go nowhere courtship that you just know obviously you know immediately it's not going anywhere but once you once you get into it you can see why it didn't go anywhere and they're just kind of toying with each other and her little um joke about the crown of thorns kind of telling too with the she didn't say that to him during the relationship Mm -hmm. but to her friends yeah it was as if she's saying, yeah, I can make fun of myself. Why can't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I like, yeah, the takeaway, like, for me from that religious part was, like you said, she's kind of above some of the petty stuff that you can get into if you're really ingrained in your religion, right? Like, your religion's right and other ones are wrong, whatever. But she felt more pure because she was at least honest about wanting, you know, she wants to have sex with this guy. And she knows she's not really supposed to do that, but she's not going to deny that to herself. She she wants to. She's not pretending she doesn't want to. And he's over here pretending like he is so pure, but he's dancing on this line, like about to take her virginity and acting like he's somehow above it for holding back. But when he even says, like, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. 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 And there I I was trying to get a sense and I don't know if I missed a, a, a clue of uh, like the age difference, because I, I think there was one. He seemed older. And the promise ring also to me felt like maybe he's had sex before, but then like he's a born again, you know, virgin or something. <laughs> and now, you know, he, he's not going to do it anymore. And anyway, by the end, when she decides to get in the car with a stranger, it was kind of confusing the section that I read. But if you read it in its entirety, it's told in the present where she's deciding to to go into the city and she's talking about why she wants to go into the city. It's because she had this breakup and she wants to go see what sex is like and she's going to do it with a stranger. And so when she finally gets in the car and decides to do it, it's sad because she knows that there's no going back, but it's kind of like, good for you. It's not going to be this great thing probably with this random dude that sounds kind of skeevy, but you wanted it and you're not going to pretend like you don't. Yeah, it's nice to see her taking control. Yeah, like maybe this guy thinks that he won because he didn't give in, but she won because she won after what she wanted with someone that was equally willing to to give it to her. I don't know. That was was an interesting dynamic. Yeah, his posturing when they're kind of making out is just so you can just picture and it just seems so lame like it's so self it's so self-righteous on his part yeah give me a break buddy yeah like god sees you dry humping okay (laughs) and he really cares (laughs) (laughs) oh wow these 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 three episodes got dirty maybe the metaphor then like for the alamo is you know the idea that only tourists remember the alamo it's like this is how you think of sex this is how i think of it mm-hmm, i like that it's the last defense at the border yeah like <laughs> you guys won okay fine whatever it's a losing battle yeah yeah there's i like that kind of sense of defeat throughout the story too not just because it's a breakup and because it's about a, a, a defeat in itself but it just kind of it's a fait accompli with this girl it's just i she knows what she wants she's gonna get it and this cut this guy that she likes i'm sure he has potential and I trust her to to, find, to see that in him. So it's kind of just like, it's too bad that this guy's such a, just kind of a self-righteous dope where, yeah. you know, like they could have hit it off and had like a nice high school relationship and it could have been special and all that. But instead he was too worried about just servicing whatever the self-righteousness that he's been imposed on himself or that he's let been imposed upon him. She seems much more mature for her age than he is for his. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like his, if we could see into the future, he's the kind of character that you could imagine ultimately giving up this religion entirely, right? He, he's gone too full bore into it and it's so restricting and he's, he's following it too closely to the rules that eventually he's going to break it and feel like he has to leave it or whatever. And she's kind of like already figured out how to have religion and how to also have a life that for her makes sense within those rules. And I don't know, he he feels doomed to fail. So in, in a sense, when they break up and hearing her talk about him, it's like, yeah, it's this doomed story, but also it's her story of like, this is my first relationship and this is why I got out because wasn't going to work with him. I don't know. It doesn't feel sad. She doesn't seem like she regrets it Mm-mm. or misses it. At the beginning of the story, she says she doesn't know why she gets into the car, right? And then at the yeah. end when she gets in the car, kind of have a good sense of why she got in the car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
Oh, I was going to connect that with what you said, and I forgot. No. Think about it for a second. We can edit this out, John. We can edit out this very no, long gap. Oh, it's gone. Blank. It's completely gone. <laughs> John, thank you for coming. I really like the scene where her mom picks it's on the first page and her mom picks her up and she has such self-awareness where she tells her mom, where does she get drunk or she not get drunk? Oh, off two mics hard. I right. don't know if that's drunk. So I'm sure she was she had a nice buzz for a little <laughs> for a, a high schooler, but by telling her mom that what does she say on the oh yeah she has a great line that she it's says, on the first some page. Of it, no, that she thinks it that she thinks I'm the virgin who gets scared and calls her mom. I'm Shirley Temple, and then she giggles. Yeah, which is such a nice part. And her mom her mom reacts to the giggle, obviously not knowing what she's thinking. So to have that kind of self-awareness and just to, to be have that kind of self-acceptance. Is- well, she giggled right after her mom said, if you need to sneak around, you're ashamed of your life and who you are then. And then she laughs, right, of course. Yeah, that's a great little scene. I like, too, that what we're talking about is really normal for teenagers, right? To have two Mike's Hard Lemonades and to want to have sex with your boyfriend. And she even has a line where she says, I am out of control, she told herself as she waited in the front yard. I am out of control. It felt good to say it even though she knew it wasn't true she seems like the, the straight a student and her parents are proud of her and so that's why dealing with what your religion tells you you need to do is so confounding for her she's like wait what i'm a good person i know i'm a good person and it's nice how religion even though it's at the forefront it really doesn't feel like it is it doesn't feel like it feels right. like it is for is the boyfriend's Him. name is jonas, jonas. right for, it feels like it is for jonas like he's just carrying around like it's a shirt or a tie that he's wearing whereas <laughs> with her it's just kind of like yeah this is my culture it sort of defines me but i know myself well enough to not let it if, it, if i don't want it to and of course he's the perfect example of what happens when it goes wrong yeah well he almost felt like a predator in this story. yeah he did he was weird he chose her and there's that scene where he's like i don't usually ask out recruits like oh all right right no, he yeah. he gave me the creeps, and he he seems harmless, but that doesn't that almost makes you more creepers. Like I know you're not going to hurt me, but what the hell are you up to? Yeah, like what do you actually want if you if you're not allowed to have sex? Yeah, you mentioned the age thing before, and it's not clear, but I, I kept having to convince myself that he's a teenager because it's not it isn't clear. Like no, he's, yeah. he must still be a teenager. He must be a teenager. He, yeah. He's not like 25, is he? He can't be. I'm no. 20 at the oldest, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think an adult, it would have been a lot more. This would have been like a cynical mm-hmm, predator story. story. Yeah. It's a good point. Well, I guess my takeaway would be, unless there's something else you guys wanted to say, but I thought this was short and sweet and just really good. My takeaway is like what I said at the beginning, uh, kind of focusing on setting and making it not just a place. Like, so for my novel, I, I, it's in Florida, right? My never to be written novel is based in Florida, but I made up a county and I remember someone saying, well, that doesn't sound like a Florida county. I'm like, I remember when that yeah, was said. I was like, was well, cause it's not. <laughs> and then everyone kind of made the point like, well, why don't you actually make it a place? And I don't, whatever my, argument was it doesn't matter but i think it's really neat when you do make a place the actual place and it doesn't have to be a prominent feature but here like i said it adds that layer because if there wasn't the alamo maybe there'd be something else or maybe nothing at all but there's also other ways that the setting kind of plays in right like we talked about this is like a white dude and a hispanic girl and where else can they interact other than the border right like in this way and in a city with that history makes adds that complexity and then she even has the details about this tower with the restaurant on top which i had to google but this is in san antonio and they're proud of it and she talks about like the grackles like so the birds but she doesn't just say like blackbirds you know like they probably call them that and i would say there's 
probably a fine line between this and maybe uh, Lauren Groff's story that we read where that where the setting was almost um, a character in that it was a threat somehow, right? Wild, rural Florida. But here, it just adds something. It feels so much more real. Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit with the Lauren Groff story and maybe some another one, but um, making it a real place, I think, is important if that real place is important for the story. Yeah. Like, for your story, because it's built so much around the terrain, I feel like yeah, um, sure. it makes sense for it to be the real place. And this one, the, the metaphor works and all that stuff, that helps it. And, and everything we talked about, but yeah, but you know, you can you can get away with having your story in a blank room if it's interior, whereas having the setting affect the story um, is really strong too. Yeah, uh, when you said, um, I don't know, for some reason, I was thinking of like Greg Stanley, rest in peace. Our for- one of our former members, everything was set in this Midwest town, which you realized was Greg Stanley's hometown, and it was always cold, and so the setting didn't necessarily matter in terms of the plot. But the sense that it was always cold and they were always like seeing their breath and they always had their hands jammed in their pockets and their coats on like that added something that I'm talking about at this level. Yes. Yeah. Because that affects how the characters engage with one another. Yeah. Because, you know, being uh You can fill cold, in blanks you, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Being cold, like physically what they're doing. And then like for this, I was like, oh, she's probably wearing shorts. You know, just simple stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or a skirt, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> What are your takeaways? I like how she moves pretty freely between scenes. It's not meandering. There's an order to it, but it's, you can say, you can kind of zip in and out of different like little scenes and scenelets and like establish everything really quickly and then move on to the next part, move on back to downtown or back to Mission San Jose, back to when she's getting in the car at the end. And it kind of builds like a nice, it feels really speedy and airy at the same time. And I think sometimes with my own writing, it's just like, all right, I'm still in the same place. I got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I want to, I'm getting bored. How do we move this? How do we move this story along? And so she, it, this, this kind of just moves really freely. And I like that. So I'd like to apply that for sure. Well, Rob's been skipping our workshop, but we recently talked about a story because people wanted to like see a prompt. And the story I picked was called, it will look like a sunset. And it was a real account of this woman talking about the end of her relationship with a man that was abusive. And she switch back from telling snippets of when he was really good to her in the past and then this current kind of or the most recent encounter where he beat her and the police came and she she shifted really seamlessly between these scenes and places in time and the takeaway was that if you write that way and you intersperse it with like this is happening now and this happened then it's really freeing as a writer like you said otherwise you feel like you're stuck or you're on page seven and you haven't like hit return yet maybe and yeah, you don't know where to go next or if you're allowed to finish. And what people found with that prompt was that, yeah, you can stop now because you got to go to this other stop, other place. And it's really easy to picture them scenes and to like picture them completely and to write out of order. And it's a really freeing kind of um, concept. I felt like that's what she was doing, right? She's, she's telling us how she's getting into the car with this dude, but she's telling us why by describing the relationship over the past, however. Yeah, and we talked about essay versus story in a couple of different episodes. This is like an essay would say, here's why, this is my argument for getting yeah. in that story, whereas a story is like, let me dramatize mm-hmm. the events that led to, to where I am. And this is a story. Mm-hmm. 
I, I had the, the same takeaway. This what I wrote down was nonlinear storytelling, basically. And and I, but what I think is fascinating by this particular one is I almost think of it as a bubble because it starts and ends with the exact same event, just yes. getting into a car, and then the whole thing in the middle is is everything that led to that. And it's nonlinear. It's not merely flashback. It's not merely uh, okay. I'm getting in this car. Let me tell you how I got here. Three weeks ago, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not like that that style. Because even in the first paragraph, she jumps twice. So she says she doesn't know why she gets in the car, but she knows why she's alone. That's one sentence. That's the present. Jonas broke up with her in an email. Um, he'd switched the font to Lucida handwriting. And then she'd seen it coming. They'd argued about evolution at the foot of the Tower of the Americas. So as she's explaining, she's jumping back, and then she's jumping back again. And it continues in that way throughout. It's like, these are the, the different things that, that lead up to this. Um, each thing that requires explaining needs an explanation, and it kind of builds that. I call it a bubble, but that metaphor is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's a circle. Yeah, it's a circle <laughs> in that way. But I mean, maybe inflating the bubble. I, don't know. <laughs> I use the word build. You don't build a bubble, so... <laughs> <laughs> Blow a bubble. But um, the uh, the other thing is she also does it with tense, where the current moment is actually in the present tense mm-hmm. and everything else is in the past tense, which is, you know, it's a common thing that people do. <laughs> it, it is. People do that. They're like, okay, I'm going to have a talk about a current moment and everything that's before is past, you know, so it's easy to think of it that way. But, you know, it's that can become subtle in a lot of a lot of places you don't always notice tense when you're reading yeah i noticed it uh just when i was reading this and realizing that like i said if you hadn't read it from the beginning you don't know that the writer is switching but i I like that point not just telling things out of order but starting and ending where you in the same place yeah if you if you can think about it that way and then you can kind of back up you're like okay what do you need to know to appreciate this moment i'll hook you with the moment but now i gotta explain it now we'll come back to it with this new sense that makes me think of fight club at the beginning you know how did i get here uh, well, yeah, I don't want to cheapen it with Fight Club or something, no, no, but like a lot a of movies do that comparison. kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a movie trope too. Yeah, it's like, wow, how did I get in this crazy situation? Well, anything else for this one? Although I do think I do like I'm, I kind of mentioned it before, but the first line, she doesn't know why she gets into the car. By the time she gets to the end, she is certain about why she's getting in the car. Yeah, it's a little bit of a revelation that way. Yeah, so she's kind of. It's almost like as she's stepping in the. It's kind of demonstrating that as she's stepping in the car, she's like, "Yeah, this is what I want to do." Yeah, I guess too. I wondered if she was being honest with herself when she said, "I don't know why," or or maybe she was saying like, "I don't know why I got into the car. It's pretty dangerous." But by the end, she's like, "Well, I know why I came." All all the way out here. I actually went through with what I wanted to do. I just don't know why I would do something so dangerous. That almost seems like a colloquialism. You hear people say that a lot. I don't even know why I'm doing this. It's like, of course you know why. Yeah. And generally they do. Because you're horny. In this case. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's the way to end it. <laughs> you're welcome.